the Startup Sensations podcast. First-hand accounts of the real stories behind the successes, challenges, and opportunities of starting and growing a startup company. Welcome to Startup Sensations, from both sides of the pond, with Belent Osman and Shelley Bays. And welcome back to another episode of the Startup Sensations podcast with me, Belent Osman, from just outside London here in the UK. And me, Shelley Bays, on the beautiful Northern California coast. And beautiful it is. Hi, Belent. Yes, hi, Shelley. And uh, we have another really interesting episode this week. And it's really all about building up communities and about social media as well, especially the start of social media because this particular guest is actually part of that pioneering age about 20, 25 years ago when social media really got going. This is going to be a really interesting interview. I know that this is a person that you've um, known well for many years, and I'm going to be fascinated to hear what she has to say because social media today is such a different animal than um, way back, as you point out, 20, 25 years ago when networking began. So I'm hoping that she will give her opinions on the whole development of this industry over time. That'll be that'll be interesting for me. Yes. And uh, I've known Penny Power, OBE, for well over a decade. And uh, she's been a real force for community building, force for good here in the UK. And uh, she's been through some ups and downs, so that's for sure. But um, uh, she has written two books. Um, so I'm looking forward to discussing the whole theme of community building. And really, the way I view her career, especially the early part of her career, was that, I mean, she, she was pretty much Mark Zuckerberg before Mark Zuckerberg even left high school. <laughs> <laughs> she very much pioneered the whole area of uh, social connection before LinkedIn, before Facebook, and before Twitter. So there's lots to discuss with Penny, and I'm really, really looking forward to seeing her again. And I'm pleased to say uh, Penny Power now joins us uh, from, from Surrey in the UK. Hi, Penny. Welcome to the Startup Sensations podcast. We're delighted to have you. How are you today? Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, to talk to startups is just a privilege. And then when you told me that I'm a sensation, well, you know, it blew my mind. So <laughs> Well, I've known you for over 10 years and, and uh, I definitely you are a sensation. And uh, I mean, ever since I first met you, I kind of followed your career and you've achieved just so much in that time. So there's a lot to cover today. So I'd just like to kick off, actually, with, with one of your quotes from your book, because you've written two books. You say, my focus and joy in life comes from creating deep, meaningful relationships for people in business. And I achieve this through coaching, consulting, and running my own business community. My mission is to support companies to build a community-first culture, helping every person to feel heard, understood, and appreciated. Penny, what is a community-first culture in business? Oh, it's a great place to start from. I think... Um... When I entered the uh, business world when I was 19 in 1983, it was a very different world to the one we have now. The culture in organizations, they had time and margin to really deeply care and create a family environment. 
So my first experience of being in business was very, I felt really a big, deep sense of connection, belonging, loyalty, and love to my colleagues and to my boss. And, you know, it wasn't until I reflected back that it was very much, I felt part of a community. And what I've seen over the years, which I'm sure we'll touch on, is what technology has done. And I'm a big advocator of technology. I encourage people to enable themselves as much as possible with what technology can do for their businesses. But um, we have seen probably more with the shift into social media, hybrid working, uh, et cetera. We've just seen a world where people are very disconnected, uh, more connected than we've ever been, but emotionally disconnected. So community first is bringing in a culture alongside your organizational needs, bringing something in side by side to it that really provides a sense of community, belonging, love, and significance to the staff so that they have that sense of attachment that businesses need staff to have. Yeah. And also extends out some of our clients now saying, how do I create community first culture with my clients? which is what Thomas and I have always done. We've basically created a business model around creating community for business owners. And, and do you think things have got better uh, over the last, say, five to 10 years, or, or has it got worse or has it got m- much more difficult? I think both. And I'll explain why. When I entered the business world, it was accidental when I was 19. I was actually waiting to go into a degree in psychology and I wanted to go into very vocational roles. I didn't see myself as a businesswoman. At the time, I also felt fairly unintelligent because my academic life had not been successful. I didn't realize at the time the school my parents sent me to wasn't helping me in, in an academic way. So I relied very much on my emotional intelligence and my desire to really serve and love and care for people, which did help me to create leadership roles because I was very much a servant leader. However, that was not the cool thing to be in business. If you look at the 80s and the 90s and going into the early 2000s, It was very much about wealth creation, being a lone wolf, being out there for yourself, highly competitive and emotional intelligence. I remember somebody saying to me, you're too soft for business. And it was like emotional intelligence wasn't really being seen. So now I think that emotional intelligence is something that is being celebrated and needed. And it was very interesting when you look at the advent of AI now, Mm -hmm. if you actually look at the way, and it was actually Daniel Priestley that some people may know of said this, and I thought it was a very clever way of putting it, that if we look at industrial revolution, our hands became irrelevant. And if we look at AI, our minds and our brains are becoming less required because so much is going to be automated in that way. It actually just leaves our hearts as the big differentiator in business. And so that to me is great, not just because that's how I want to see the world, but because I think as humans, we have emotional needs and we've not been serving our emotional needs, which is, I think, why mental health has become such a an epidemic across the world mm-hmm. because we are not considering our emotional and mental needs, and we are not being considered in that way by organizations. So I think there's a really good shift happening. And I believe creating community is the manifestation of that within organizations. So so do you think with AI coming through, do you think that'll be a force for good? Or will that also have its very significant challenges? I think, again, it will be both. I mean, it's like when, if I liken it to what happened with the internet emerging in the mid-90s, And Thomas and I coming up with this concept in 98 to create the first social network in the world. We believed in the internet being a force for good because it connects people and helps people from all over the world, creates a level playing field. And, you know, our celebration around that was be friends first and then look for transactions after that. 
So that was social networking. And then in 2007, 2008, it really was the explosion of social media. And we moved from conversation into broadcast. And I think once we moved into social media, it was a force for good and it was a force for bad. We really saw both sides of that coin because unfortunately, back to the year dot and before, we had good people and we had bad people and we still have good people and we have bad people. And there will be some people using AI for good and we're already seeing uh, phenomenal things happening around that and there will be some people that are looking for the ways to use it for bad yeah i agree um talking of technology you also wrote i believe that technology has stripped emotion from business what did you mean by that well technology is awesome for increasing productivity and efficiency and being able to measure tasks, being able to allocate tasks, being able to project manage in the most phenomenal ways. And I use it in our small business with our teams. I use technology and there is no doubt that we can have lower costs and achieve far more profits because of technology and all of the amazing software as a service tools that we uh, subscribe to. The danger is that we become robotic in the way that we treat one another based on someone's value to an organization or to each other is their speed of tasks and the efficiencies of achieving a task. That means that technology for me is stripping emotion away from our day-to-day. Now, what was actually quite beautiful, you know, some people talk about the Second World War, well, older people, many passed away now, being some of the happiest times of their lives. And it was because they united and they weren't comparing materially with one another. They were united with a struggle together. And when we saw the pandemic come on, there was that sense, again, that first three months, there was this sense of togetherness, Mm -hmm. almost a joy in that we're really uniting and we contribute to one another. And corporates, you know, suddenly introduced hybrid working and the world that I've always lived in is working from home. But you had people working from home and they were able to show their toddler and this is my dog. And they were able to share, well, I'm not well at the moment. And all these vulnerabilities and natural human needs and things that are happening in their lives came out. And it meant that who they were became part of them and what they are. And I believe in that whole person because we are a whole person. We can't polarize ourselves. So it's really fascinating to see now we've kept the hybrid working. But we've forgotten that unity, of course, and therefore we've been left with the technology, but not with the emotion again. And so you've almost created a thirst that that isn't being quenched and you've given people something really special and then it's gone again. And so how do we merge technology with our human needs? That's something I've done all my life. And 25 years ago when we started Academy, I manifested it through utilizing technology to create global communities. Yeah, no, absolutely. We'll we'll definitely come on to talk about Academy in a moment. Um, but I do have a confession to make first. Good. My confession is that I actually went to bed with you last night. And also I woke up with you this morning <laughs> in my ears. I was listening on Audible to your your second book, which came out at the beginning of 2019 called Business is Personal. But can I just ask that book, you wrote it in probably 2018, 
why did you write that book and, and what were the key messages that came out of it, do you think? The catalyst for me writing it was when I realised that I wasn't happy. I had a very scary experience, which was called a hallucinogenic panic attack, which happened in November 2017. And it was um, in the middle of a crowdfund raise. And leading up to that, my husband and I had had seven extremely difficult years where just about every trauma and challenge that anybody could go through had to come into our lives. And it was to the point where friends would say, that can't now have happened. And they were everything from financial traumas through to deaths of loved ones that died prematurely through to our daughter being abducted and raped and Thomas getting cancer. So there was my husband who I'm very in love with. So in my own personality, I will always put others first. So I had no bandwidth um, to look after myself because I wanted to look after everyone else. And at the same time, Thomas and I had gone through some huge financial um, stress and there was no way that I could not work. And so it was just a massive juggle. So what happened at the end of November 2017 is I was presenting to a group of 40 people about how to build your personal brand online. And um, the night before, a troll had come back into my life that I hadn't actually seen him for over seven years. And it was because I had emerged with this crowdfund to create a new form of community. And I went to bed that night, very upset by this, woke up, got on train to London, was presenting. And as I turned around from setting up the computer and the PowerPoint, the room full of people, their faces started to change into the faces of 17 trolls that we'd had. Mm. And we had trolls in our social network who we banned because they were nasty people. And it was during a time when nobody else, they weren't even called trolls, but it was during a time when nobody else was getting trolled because we were so early on. It obviously deeply affected me and this ended up being this hallucinogenic panic attack. Basically, I was told when I meant, went to a psychologist that when your cortisone levels are so high, they can completely change the brain chemical. And that's what happened to me. Okay. So that was the catalyst. Sure. But actually what I find is that many, many people have catalytic moments in their life when they realize how I've been behaving towards myself isn't right. So the strap line to my book is be the leader of your life and business. And it is when I really had time to think on what is the business I like and how do I like to show up in the world and and realign my values and my business going forward. And I want to write the book because I don't believe there is a true benchmark in the world around what it's like being an entrepreneur. We look on social media and it's all so glossy and everybody doing so well and they're winning awards and they're traveling here and they're in demand there and they look marvelous and they've got their kids and everything just looks incredible. Yeah. And mine and Thomas's life looks like that online. But the reality is that we all have struggles and we have to learn how to balance it all. And a lot of it comes from really deep awareness of yourself and where your vulnerabilities lie and how you manage those. I wouldn't mind just, if you're okay with this, to take you back to the kind of beginning of your of your career before Academy. So tell us about where you were before Academy started, you know, what you were thinking at that time and what Academy became. Thomas and I had three children under four and a half. I was working as an interim sales director for a company that asked me to go back and help them. Um, I had essentially given up my corporate career to have the children 
home computing was emerging. So this is in 1990, around 94, 95. And Compaq had this all-in-one computer system with um, where you could put CD-ROMs in and Usborne Books and all these companies were doing encyclopedias. Yes. And I was approached by the guy who used to run Dell Europe to set up a network of home computing experts. And so it was like network marketing, multi-level marketing. And they would go into schools and educate parents in the evenings on the amazing things that can happen if your children have access to a computer at home. So I did that. I found the first agent and then and I ended up having a community of 680 agents across the UK. But we could only work on email. We were using CompuServe. But at the same time, in parallel to me doing that, the internet was emerging. Everybody was talking about e-commerce and WWWs and mm. e-procurement and I was sort of managing people, sending out messages in chunks of sort of 50 people at a time. And I couldn't get them to talk to one another unless I arranged an offline event and could bring them together. And they were all over the country and they were busy people. Often this was a second part to their income. They had full-time jobs. And so I just turned to Thomas on the 7th of February, 1998, sitting having a pizza over lunch with the kids. Wouldn't it be amazing to create a community for business owners because it was obvious that they were really going to be emerging through this internet boom. But they would be mostly working from home on their own, doing startups. Wouldn't it be incredible to create a community so they could support and love and care for one another and refer one another and just be friends? And so we started it. And it was the first social network. We, there was nothing like it at the time. So I suppose my emotional journey of leadership when I built quite a big career leading up to having my children, and then my desire to connect people as friends, you know, resulted in us creating this amazing platform. Yeah, I mean, uh, community building is, is absolutely your theme throughout throughout your career. Yeah. So tell us about the Academy. How quickly did it grow? What were the dynamics? And then what eventually sort of happened with that? So in 1998, when we first came up with the idea, we very quickly said, well, I'm not going to be the CEO of this because my values around being around for my kids, I wouldn't want to fail the business or fail the children. And one of my clients actually said they wanted to invest £250,000 into it. And it was before I'd even written a page of a plan. I just talked to him over a beer in a, in a pub garden, I think, when I was doing some work for him. And then about six months into that, so summer 1999, um, Steve said that he felt that we could float this on the stock market and it was when a lot of places were going on to AIM and um, I was quite shocked by that but then I suddenly found myself up in London getting a prudential assurance where they're going to be the underwriters and Thomas was then asked to come into the business fully because um, he was really dynamic and amazing connector of people and bring in the revenue from his business that he had so that that revenue would help the business mm. and we were I think it was one or two away from going on the stock market when lastminute.com went out yeah. and then the market crashed and we got a call saying this isn't going to happen. Wow. And um, it was what was absolutely amazing about that. And I talk a lot about how adversity can actually create great things in life, and they do. Mm. All of our members that we had at that time called themselves dot-com people. But actually, very quickly, dot-com became very passe and actually, they were just general business people with running businesses and they were business owners. And so we then, the business really changed from being what we thought would be sort of a startup place for you know, digital dot-com people. It changed into any business and we had 
lawyers, solicitors, accountants, architects, all sorts of businesses, PR people joining. And then we just saw it go viral. Mm. And then one night in around 2002, the code had been written for us to allow people to start groups. Mm -hmm. And we called them clubs. Everybody knows them as groups now. Yes. And we went to bed thinking, oh, I wonder if somebody will start the architects group or the, I don't know, farming group or whatever. And next morning we woke up about 257 groups have been formed but they were geographical so somebody started the sydney academy the dubai academy the new york academy the london academy and suddenly we spawned these amazing groups and we ended up having you know thousands of these groups and they all arranged meetups so penny i'm i'm interested in the timing of all of this i guess linkedin started in what 2003 and facebook was not even there at that point. So in essence, zero competition, but that changed relatively quickly. And how did you deal with all of that? What were your thoughts at the time? Our competition was ignorance because people were saying, how do I create a brand online? And what is a blog? And you know, we had to teach people how to use the technology. We literally ran courses teaching people how to use it face-to-face. -face. I mean, you know, you didn't have video then and things like that. And yes, we started in 98, LinkedIn 2002 and, and Facebook 2004. Reid Hoffman, who founded LinkedIn, was actually one of our members. He wasn't enormously active, but he was a member. We don't know how much he was just watching. But his belief, I think, was very interesting. So whilst we were a social network for business people, he believed in creating a business network for business people. So he created LinkedIn and we emailed the whole database and said, come on, you business owners, you need to get a profile on LinkedIn. And the reason is that we never saw things as competition because when you have the attitude of serving people and wanting people to be successful, you don't keep secrets to yourself. They're going to help them. Yeah, sure. And so we ended up running courses on how to set up, write your profile on LinkedIn. <laughs> we didn't really see it as competition. We just thought it was very important for everybody to start building their personal brand on LinkedIn as well. And then when Facebook came along in 2004, well, at the time, then it was purely for students and it was, you didn't see many adults using it. So again, we didn't see its competition. But I do remember once being on a global platform, I can't remember which country I was in, and there was Reid Hoffman and there was a very senior person from Facebook and there was me in the middle and we were being interviewed, the three of us, and LinkedIn was saying, we'll never go social. And Facebook was saying, we'll never go in business. And I was saying, well, we are both because we believe in one person. You know, So LinkedIn was more what you are and Facebook was more who you are. And we believed it's what and who. And that's how you build trust and honesty and relationships. Mm. So yeah, and then, then Twitter came along, which obviously is a very different type of platform, a news platform, but that was another thing. It started to become quite overwhelming for people because our audience were small businesses, they micro businesses or independent people. And suddenly they were feeling like, my goodness, I've got to learn. I've not only have I got to serve my clients and do my work, I've got to be on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. And mm. it became very overwhelming for people. And also people started to think, actually, this academy thing, whilst I get a lot of emotional benefits of it, it's much easier to use LinkedIn because I don't really have to use much time. I can even delegate that to a PA. And Facebook, well, I just do that in the evenings and have some fun. And so it became a challenge for us more because of people's attention and time. 
really Thomas and I should have closed the business around 2009. But what happened around that time was large UK bank wants to buy us. And we needed to keep it going through that nine, 10 months of due diligence. And then on the day that we went to get that signed and that purchase done was the day that all the banks were being really seen as bad people. The CEO of that bank was all over the front pages. Oh, really? And basically, the lawyers said to us, we can't buy you. So we had nearly floated on the stock market, nearly sold the business. And then Thomas and I kept the business going with our own resources, which then became zero. Which must be very difficult. But what was the hardest thing is we'd created a really powerful home for a number of people, not enough people for it to be financially viable for us. And I I think the challenge then became we were like the pub in the village, the lovely leather chairs, the lovely dirty fireplace that anybody can chuck some wood onto. The leather chairs have got a tear in it and the fluff's coming out of it, but people love it there. And when you walk in, everybody knows you. But here over here is this flashy free drinks in this amazing flashy pub. Yeah. And we couldn't compete with that. No, because you were charging a subscription, weren't you, at that time? And of course, these new competitors, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, were all free. So that obviously caused a a problem. We were only charged $10, 10 pounds, 10 euros to be a a member where you could be as active as you'd want to be. So it was a very small amount. But really, the deepest reason for doing it is that we could verify everyone against their credit card and it meant we could control the culture and ensure that people weren't horrible to one another. In amongst all that gloom, you got some amazing news, don't you, in 2013 from Buckingham Palace. So for those of you who don't know, Penny is actually Penny Power OBE. But of course, we've got listeners and viewers in North America and hopefully other parts of the world as well. And they may not be as familiar with what OBE means. OBE stands for Order of the British Empire, although some people said it stood for Online Business Executive. (laughs) So somebody will nominate you to the Queen's office or now the King's office, and they will look and see whether or not that person has contributed to society in some way. So just before Christmas, around November time, 2013, I got a, a letter. Well, it was actually an email because the letter in all the beautiful parchment paper and envelope had actually been sent to an address that we were no longer at and it had been sent back. So fortunately, they emailed me and I thought the email was spam. Yeah, you would think that. But I was nominated by the business minister and it was for the contribution that we made through Academy to um, entrepreneurs in the digital economy. Yeah, it was phenomenal, uh, an amazing thing. And mm-hmm. um, you were allowed to take a number of guests. So I took Thomas and my daughter and my father, um, which was very lovely. And yeah, I was very lucky. It was the Queen. I think it was one of the last times the Queen actually did the awards um, because she stands for hours shaking people's hands, delivering these awards. So a beautiful day, mm-hmm. an amazing feeling of validation. You get asked if you want to accept it because some people are anti-monarchy and they won't accept it. But to me, it was an incredible validation, not just of the work that Thomas and I had done, but also the way the members had embraced Academy. Because as I always teach, a community is only as good as the citizens of that community. And all the members that believed so much from the early days in the values of friendship in business are what made it possible. Um, It's just like if you move into a village, it's the people you bump into in the shop, in the church, playing cricket or whatever. Yeah. Those are the people that matter. And so the citizens, when I picked it up, I really, 
I really was thinking of all the people that had made Academy what it was and the way they'd contributed to one another. Do you remember what the Queen said to you then? She asked me what my citation meant. Okay, interesting. Which is really nice because the citation for it was a contribution to entrepreneurs in the social digital economy. Mm. And she didn't understand what that actually meant. So I just explained it to her. Can I bring you up to date now? Because uh, you run a business, Business is Personal, uh, named after your book. Uh, can, you, can you share some information about what that is all about? And, and how are things different now to your experiences at Academy and, and, and the early part of your career? I think it's quite relevant, really, to anybody that's starting out, is that I was on, if you imagine a conveyor belt going into a, an airport, I was on this lovely, slow, steady one in my life. And you know, I wasn't really looking to achieve anything huge. I wanted to contribute to anybody that I came into contact with. But I never envisaged that when I started Academy, that we were going to go on such a fast conveyor belt. And it was at one point that I had to look across and jump on that other one and then stay on that one. And then it becomes an enormous habit that your adrenaline and your ambitions become based on, I'm on this conveyor belt now and I'm keeping on it. And after Academy, I carried on that ambitious mentality of being a successful entrepreneur. And it was almost like I'd lost sight of really the who I am piece. And there's a really important thing here, which is already about your the neuroscience of how we work and our dopamine and our reward center of our brains and how we had touched being worth 60 million pounds and what that could do. And my programming in my head was still there, that that's what I still need to achieve. But actually, in reality, it wasn't bringing me the joy and the happiness that I needed. So when I wrote my book, Business is Personal, it was at a period that I was really reassessing what do I need and want out of my life. And I think there are a number of people that go through this. And I think at the moment across the world, with a lot of cost of living crisis and challenges, there will be a lot of people considering that and having to let go. And Thomas and I had to let go over time of a lot of um, material ambitions. And so when I wrote my book, I didn't know whether this would be a point that I would actually end up leaving the business world and maybe retraining as a midwife or something, because I wasn't sure how it would be received. But the way it was received was phenomenal because people are desiring honesty and truth. And people are living this identity online, but then their truth is what's killing them. When you share your truth, you liberate yourself and you attract towards people who share your values and have probably also been through adversity. And so as a result of creating, writing the book, I was being contacted by a lot of people. Could you coach me? Could you support me? And do some public speaking on it. And I loved that. And then when the pandemic hit in, in March 2020, a lot of people started contacting Thomas and I and saying, I am in trouble, I'm lonely, I am finding this really hard, could you start community again? And Thomas and I found that really scary because we went back to the program of being on that fast conveyor belt, you know, and would we take on LinkedIn and Facebook again, not on your your Nelly. But then overnight, I said to Thomas, why don't we just create a community of 100 amazing business owners and create the intimacy, which allows us, rather than running a machine, allows us to be intimate and close to them and support them and love them and care for them. But make sure that anybody that joins is able to be in their truth. Yes. And so that's what we did. And so we created BIP 100. 
and there will never be more than 100 in it. We've got 84 at the moment, and we have just created this beautiful place that we love. But I think the message in that is big isn't always beautiful for your soul. Yes. But actually what's interesting is that we are more financially stable than we have ever been in our lives. But So you can build business models um, that are such win-win for both the client and you and your values, which is what we're loving. What's your view of the future of, for the next three to five years? Do you feel positive and optimistic or are you concerned about a number of things that, that are challenging in the world? You mentioned social media, you mentioned trolling, you mentioned you know, sort of online hate, which is a challenge. There is the challenge of artificial intelligence, uh, you know, both a challenge and an opportunity. Will it be net positive or net negative? I'm really positive about it. And I think that when you are going for change, I remember a friend telling me that if you imagine a straight line and the world has gone too far one way, to create change has to go very extreme to the other side. And then eventually it balances into the middle. And I think that we have gone too far over to the other side and we are now rebalancing. Technology will always dominate and we always need to keep up with it. But it's how we balance the technology in our lives from our addiction to our phone, the inability to just sit opposite your spouse and talk to them without a phone in your hand, children not having relationships with parents because the kids are up in their room on their phones, addicted to TikTok and parents downstairs addicted to their email. We all know it's gone too far, but we're all now aware of it. And it all starts with awareness. Then it's how do I go through the chasm of change? And so I think we will be going through that change. I think the world's uniting. I think the world is becoming more loving, more truthful. But you have to find those people that are adopting it early and stick with them and together create that change back to a world where technology is powerful, but it hasn't taken away our human emotional needs of needing to be significant to others, to contribute to one another, to feel safe. And what we've noticed in a community when you do feel significant to others and your self-esteem and your value grows for yourself, when you do contribute and receive contribution, when you do feel safe, you innovate, you grow. And that's what we witness inside community. And I think the more I can bang on my little drum, thanks to you doing this and others uh, helping me get that message out, I think we all have it within our power to empower ourselves and to create a world that we want. On that very positive point, Penny, I'm going to have to thank you ever so much for coming on the show. It's been a joy to see you again. Um, it's been a thrill to have you speak about your experiences and the challenges you face and how you've overcome them. Do you want to share how best for people to get in touch with you? Because you, you probably would have inspired a lot of people listening to this and watching this. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, so to Penny Power on LinkedIn. Um, I'm very quick to go on WhatsApp with anybody that wants to connect with me on LinkedIn. Penny, it's been a joy. Delightful talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, for me, Shelley, it was really great to speak with Penny again. As you know, I've known her for a very long time and, uh, and I enjoyed that conversation. Uh, what did you think? You know, I found it absolutely fascinating. I found it moving and inspiring uh, and fascinating on several points. Let me bring up one that resonated with me. And she said, the Industrial Revolution made our hands irrelevant. And what she meant is we didn't have to do physical labor and work in the way that we used to. And then technology and especially AI 
is making our brains less relevant. You know, ChatGPT can write an essay for us and we don't have to put in the same mental effort. Mm -hmm. And where she led to was that leaves the heart and this concept of emotional intelligence and the importance now, especially in this day and age, of merging technology with human needs. Because technology, as she points out, has the ability to separate us Mm -hmm. if we're not careful. Uh, It also has the ability to bring us together, but that's the part we have to work on. And that kind of is what she spent her life doing yes. is working on this concept of bringing people together. Well, Shelley, you, you've knocked it right on the head. Uh, community is the word. Um, Penny very much espouses community um, in, in the most authentic way possible. And uh, that's been her, her life's work, you know, her, her mission. And the fact that she told the story of um, creating, uh, creating Academy with her husband, Thomas, uh, back in the late 1990s, well before LinkedIn, well before Facebook and Twitter came on the scene, uh, she was the leading provider of a global community using the very latest technology at that time, which, of course, was in the very early days of the Internet. And and she firmly believes that um, business is personal. That's the name of her book, her second book. And yes, it's important, of course, to have commerciality and uh, businesses about providing services and products and making money from it, but making money from it in a very honest way with lots of integrity is really important to Penny. And I think she has uh, espoused this over many years and she's had her ups and downs, as we've heard, and she's gone through some difficult times. But uh, as somebody who's known her for a period of time, I was really thrilled and delighted when she got the call from the Queen of England to be awarded what's called an OBE, which is a real honor here in the UK. And, you know, she can forever be known as Penny Power OBE. And and she absolutely deserves that. And Belent, wasn't there one of our earlier guests, was it Simon, who talked as well about you know, love, again, not the romantic love, but how you interact with people. Do you remember that conversation? Yes, I do, actually. And uh, that was with Simon Billsbury um, in episode five, when he talked about the book that inspired him in in the early part of his career, uh, the book by Steve Farber, The Radical Leap, where that was one of the key principles. And and so that you're right, there's a there's a connectivity, there is a link back to one of our previous guests. So this is a real theme that's coming through. You know, for Penny, now she has her community, a small community, which is BIP 100, um, Business is Personal 100, BIP. And uh, I know she runs these groups with great um, passion and energy. Thanks for listening to Startup Sensations. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. Get in touch with us. Email hello at startupsensations.com. And that's it for another episode of the Startup Sensations podcast. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Startup Sensations. And please do contact Shelley or myself via email as we always love to hear your feedback and any comments that you may have. So we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.